Lord God, we thank you for your amazing grace toward us. Help us to live in the joy of that grace every day of our lives and help us to learn more and more what it means to value your word, your word that reveals your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends, from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are on part two of a three-part sermon series on vision. When we talk about vision, we're talking about a preferred future. As we look out into the future, what do we hope to see there? Especially as we look into this new year that is coming. Last week, Pastor John started the series in challenging us to catch a vision about worship life. He challenged us to be involved in not only worship on Sundays as we come together like this at a service, but to rather see worship as a lifestyle that is lived out Sunday through Saturday, to worship God in everything we say and do. Today, in part two of of our series, the vision has to do with developing a life in the Word of God, developing a life in the Word. To uh, help us get into the topic this morning, I came across this illustration that I think is rather poignant. It asks the question, what if we treated our Bible the way we treat our cell phone? Think about that for just a minute. What if we carried our Bible around in our pockets or our purses? What if we turn back to go get it if we left it at home. Hmm. What if we flip through it several times every day? What if we used it to receive text messages from God on a regular basis? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? Boy, we sure do that with this, don't we? What if we gave it to our children as gifts and encourage them to have it with them at all times? What if we used it even when we traveled? What if we used it in cases of emergency? And what if we were as diligent in learning all of its features as we are with our telephones? Oh, and one more thing, unlike our cell phone, we don't ever have to worry about our Bible being disconnected because there's no bill to pay. Jesus already paid it in full with his life. What if we treated our Bible like we treated our cell phone? The longest chapter in the Bible is all about the value of God's message to us, his people. The longest chapter in the Bible is from Psalm. It's chapter 119, And it consists of 176 verses. And the author of Psalm 119 is offering a prayer of praise to God in which he is uh, glorifying the word of God and the value of God's word to us, his people. I selected a few verses to help make the point. For example, in verse 16, it says, I delight in your decrees, O Lord. I will not neglect your word. Is that how you think about the Bible? That you delight in what God has to say to you 
and therefore you wouldn't even consider neglecting the use of his word. Or in verse 24, he says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Let's face it, at times in life, we're trying to make some important decisions and we could use some wise guidance and counsel. The psalmist encourages us to go to God's word and delight in his word and find counsel from him. Or this one says, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. Sometimes life is tough, isn't it? Sometimes we experience suffering. How are we going to make it through those tough days and nights unless we go to the Lord who gives us his word of promise, the promise to be with us, yes, even in the tough times, and he preserves our life. Another verse says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Even the author of the psalm stayed teachable, was open to learning more of what God had to teach him. Are you open and teachable to learn more of what God has to say? And then the last one, may my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. This morning we want to develop a life in the word, to have a vision for developing that kind of lifestyle. Are you developing a life in the word of God for you? Another way to uh, think about this topic might be uh, another what-if question. What if we treated our Bibles the way we treat our eyeglasses, for those of us who have to wear these things? You know, I can see so-so without them, but boy, when I wear them, it sure is a lot clearer, isn't it? Yes, you know what I'm talking about. And if I ever leave my glasses behind, I make a point to go get them because I need them, especially to be able to read. God's Word makes things clear for us. You know, if we were left on our own, we would not only be, be, have difficulty seeing, we would be spiritually blind. But God has given us vision through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his revealed word, God the Holy Spirit helps us to truly see what really matters. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Boy, sometimes the path in life gets pretty dark and difficult, doesn't it? It sometimes has some twists and turns. We don't quite know how to negotiate. Sometimes the path is, is too dark for us to really be able to find our own way. We need God's word to light the way and show us clearly how we are to proceed. Sometimes God's word to us is a corrective word. We call that part of God's message the law. The law of God that corrects us when we do wrong and shows us what the right way is to live our lives. Proverbs 6.23 says, For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. The law is good for us. It corrects us when we're wrong. It shows us our sins so that we might repent and find God's forgiveness. The law also serves as a guide for how we are to live our lives. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says this, 
All scripture is God-breathed, that is, it originates with God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word is useful. But God's word of law isn't enough. And we're reminded that God's message to us is a twofold message, not just law. God's message is also a message of good news. We call it the gospel. To get at this part of it, I ask another question, another what if. What if we treated God's word the way we treat our keys? Hmm, have you ever left your keys behind? Boy, you need your keys, don't you? Have you ever locked your keys in your car? Oh, my goodness, that's so frustrating. I actually locked my house keys inside my house one time. What an idiot. I had to take my cell phone and call the locksmith, and sure enough, he came out. What's a little bit scary is in less than 10 seconds, he had the door of my house unlocked. You just hope these locksmiths are honest, right? Wow. Yeah. Keys are important. They unlock locked doors. They open doors for us. And the gospel message about our Savior Jesus Christ is a key, a key to forgiveness, a key to eternal life, a key to heaven, if you will. Again, in St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, he said, You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the good news part of God's message to us is the the key to that door of heaven, and it centers on the cross. It centers on the cross where our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was sinless and perfect in every way, took on himself all of my sins, your sins, and those of the whole world, and was damned for our sins on the cross. God, the Heavenly Father, put the punishment that we deserve on His Son, Jesus. And there He paid the full penalty for your sins and mine. He wipes them away and He simply says, Believe that I did this for you and you are forgiven. And the door to heaven is unlocked for you to enter. It means, friends, that on that last day, when we stand before the judge, we don't stand there based on our own merit. We stand there on the merit of Jesus Christ who died for us. The door is open. The key of the gospel unlocks it that we might enter. I like the way St. John says it in his first letter. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That gospel message is powerful and life-transforming. St. Paul experienced that himself, and he couldn't help but write about that power of the gospel to change people's lives. To the Romans, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, catch what he says next. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is is written, the righteous will live by faith. Think about what that means. A righteousness from God is made available to us. We're sinners. We're unrighteous. If we were to stand before the judge on the last day based on our own sinful record, we'd be cast away forever. But through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are wiped away, and we will stand before the judge with the righteousness that is the perfection of Christ wrapped around us. And Christ's perfection is the key that opens the door to heaven. And Jesus himself will say, Welcome, my child. Receive the kingdom of God prepared for you. Friends, that gospel message is so powerful, and we need to be exposed to that good news message every day. And developing a life in the Word gives us regular contact with that message that daily assures us that even though I sin every day, I'm forgiven in Christ Jesus through Him. And every day we receive that life-transforming love of God. Here's another what-if question. What if we treated God's Word the way we treat our identification? Now, this is not an actual Arizona driver's license. It's just a sample. But I would venture to say that those of you who drive probably have your driver's license on your possession right now. I would guess if you're going to drive away from here, I hope you have it with you. Because if you get pulled over, you're going to need to show it to the nice police officer. If you're going to fly on an airplane anytime soon, you're going to need identification, aren't you? They won't let you on without it. If you're going to travel internationally, you've got to have a passport because you have to be able to prove that you are who you say you are. Identity is important. How we find that out in these various cases of Identity theft. Have you had that happen? Oh my. I've heard some horror stories about those who've had their private information taken and someone's trying to pretend to be you. How awful that is. Well, let me just tell you, spiritually speaking, there, was some, there is someone who's trying to do that to every one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus. His name is Satan, the devil, and he's trying to steal our identity. He's trying to convince us that we are not forgiven of our sins. He's trying to drag us down into hell with him where he knows he's going. He's trying to undo everything Jesus accomplished for us and convince us that we are not forgiven, we're not on our way to heaven, and we are not children of God. That's where God's Word comes in because God's Word clarifies our identity. It tells us who we really are over against the lies of Satan. Psalm 103 says it this way, 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Our identity is as God's created children. John in his first letter says it even more beautifully. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us 
that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. There's our identity. We get our identity, you see, from God himself. That's what Scripture shows us. That's what Scripture reminds us of. When the devil is throwing lies at us, we come back to God's word and realize who we really are. We're children of God because he created us, because he redeemed us at the cross, and because he calls us his dear children. Here's another question. What if? What if we treated our Bible like we treat our favorite food? There's some gourmet food up there. Now I'm making everybody hungry, right? I know, you all want to get to lunch. Just a few more minutes, okay? What if we treated our Bible like we treat that food that we enjoy so much? I like the fact that Mr. Truett Cathy, the founder of the Chick-fil-A restaurant chain, has a quote that he has printed on the walls of many his, of his restaurants. And it says, food is essential, therefore make it good. That phrase talks about two aspects of food. We want it to be tasty and we want it to be healthy because it's essential. We need food to survive. Well, if you think about it, God's word is both tasty and essential. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Word of God is, first of all, tasty, in that the wonderful message of God's forgiving grace is the sweetest message we could receive, the sweetest message we could consume and digest and take into ourselves, the message that God loves us enough to have his son die in our place. What other message can be that sweet? But God's word is also essential to us. Jesus, when he's dealing with temptations by the devil out in the desert, has this to say in Matthew 4. He said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knows that the word of the Father is essential for our spiritual existence. And so we ought to heed the invitation of the psalmist in Psalm 34, verse 8, where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And how do we take refuge in him? How do we taste of the Lord? By spending time in this book. Let me ask you, are you feeding on God's Word daily. One last what-if question. What if we treated our Bible like our most valuable possessions? I don't know what kind of valuables you own or that you have at your home or perhaps in a vault somewhere, whether it's silver and gold like on the screen there or, or something else. But let me ask you, do you consider God's word to be more valuable than all of those things? Psalm 119 says, The word from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. Yes, it's even more valuable than the winning lottery ticket from a few weeks ago. Is that 
how you view the Bible that is on your shelf or on your end table at home as the most valuable treasure that you have. See, friends, we want to challenge you to catch a vision, a vision of developing a life in the Word of God on a regular basis. And it's a vision that really isn't anything new. It goes all the way back to the early days of the church, back to the days when the first Christians, you see, were living out their faith after Jesus had risen from the dead and then ascended up into heaven. What were those first Christians doing? The book of Acts tells us. And in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice what the first thing is that's mentioned. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning about God's teachings for them that the apostles had learned through spending three years with Jesus himself. I wonder, what might that look like today to devote ourselves to the teachings of God? Well, I want this message to be very practical and helpful. I hope it is. And so I have some suggestions of how all of us can go deeper in developing this life in the Word. One of them, one idea is to practice some daily devotions. There's various resources available. One of them is one we provide for you free of charge. It's called Portals of Prayer. It comes out every quarter. It's available out in the narthex as you leave today if you'd like to pick up a copy. For every day of the year, there's a brief meditation, a Bible verse, a prayer, an opportunity to take a few moments to focus on the things of God in a morning or evening devotion or whenever it fits into your schedule. Another daily devotion I like to use is from Luthenauer Ministries. You can go to lhm.org to find a daily devotion. I actually receive it on my phone so I can have a daily devotion right there wherever I might happen to have my phone with me. That leads to another type of opportunity, and that is having a Bible app on your smartphone. The one that I have on my phone is called Version. It's free. And it provides me the opportunity to look up any Bible verse in a variety of translations and to set up Bible reading plans to keep me disciplined on reading God's Word. Yes, you can put it in your pocket or your purse and have it with you all the time. Another Bible reading plan is available through BibleGateway.com, an online access to Uh, versions of the Bible, as well as reading plans that you can use to uh, set up your own system for studying God's Word personally. Another opportunity you may or may not be familiar with is video-based Bible studies. I I don't know if you realize that everyone here, church and school families, has 24-7 access to more than 10,000 video-based Bible studies right at your fingertips at your computer at home. It's called Right Now Media. Our church purchased the uh, right to make use of that for all of our members and our school families. And if you aren't connected to Right Now Media and would like to, just call the church office, ask Brenda on how to get plugged in, or talk to Chuck Gherkin, our director of faith development. They'll be happy to help you. 
And there are Bible-based videos for children as well as adults on a wide variety of topics. And it's another resource to go deeper in your faith walk of studying God's Word. We want everyone to study God's Word privately, but I also want to encourage all of us to consider getting into a group of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to study God's Word together. In the pew rack and also at the Information Center, there is this list of current Bible studies available for adults and youth uh, that are taking place on either of our campuses or some of which meet in people's homes. Take this with you. Consider becoming a part of a Bible study. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and we sharpen one another as we come together and learn together from God's Word on how to live out this faith more meaningfully. Well, those are a few examples of how we can go deeper in making this life in God's Word come alive. Let me just pose this question to you. As you envision going forward as a congregation and as a school, how would Shepherd of the Desert be different if every one of us was actively engaged in personal and group study of God's Word? Just imagine if every one of our people was actively engaged in personal and group Bible study. What difference would that make by this time next year? May God help each one of us to catch the vision for developing a life in the Word of God. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.